Thanks to the Youngs for sharing. Uh, when I was in seminary, my favorite professor was uh, Dr. Block. Dr. Daniel Block was an Old Testament professor that I just loved. In fact, uh, he knew so much. He was considered the leading authority in the whole world on the book of Ezekiel. How would you like to be known as the leading scholar in the whole world on any biblical book? I mean, this guy was uh, brilliant, and I learned so much from him. I learned uh, he, he, he knew so much about the Lord and about the Bible and, and, uh, and about the church, and just I learned so much. But the reason that he was my favorite professor was not necessarily because of his intellect. It was because of his heart. I, I had the privilege of being in a small group. We called it a shepherding group of about five other students, and uh, we would meet with Dr. Block once a month and simply share prayer requests. Now, uh, I, I love being in that uh, group just to, to be able to share my request with the professor, but I never actually really thought he prayed for him. You know, this guy is traveling all over. He's writing books. He's giving lectures. He's working in his own church. I was just happy to share my, re, uh, my request. I didn't actually think he was going to pray for them. And, uh, and, and I, I kind of had those doubts shattered when one night, uh, it was a Thursday night, I decided to bring the girl I was dating to meet my favorite professor. And so on a Thursday night, worship it from the Old Testament class, I brought Chelsea, and, uh, and uh, she sat through this three-hour lecture, and I said, wasn't that great? And she kind of rolls her eyes. And then I said, well, let me introduce you to the professor. And so I took her up, and I introduced her to uh, Dr. Block, and his eyes light up, and he says, I've been praying for you. And I'm thinking, you've been praying for her? And, and, and then it dawned on me that several years ago in the shepherding group, uh, I had requested prayer for a future Mrs. Winnell, that God would provide me with a wife. And he said, don't you remember you shared that? I've been praying for her ever since you shared that. And I was like, wow. It just showed me this man's heart. Because what is he going to get out of that? He, he's a leading scholar in the world. He has all of these responsibilities. And yet he cared so much about little old me as a seminary student to pray individually for, for me for years. And, I, and, we are, and we are blessed by that. The reason I share that this, uh, story this morning is because I think we get a similar picture uh, of the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 4. Now, let's just be honest. Paul is brilliant. I mean, he's written 13 of our New Testament uh, books. And, uh, and as if we've been studying uh, Galatians, we see him lay out these sound logical arguments using Old Testament examples and, and refuting, the teach, uh, refuting the false teachers from these Judaizers as we've been uh, studying. But what we see here, if we kind of read between the lines, what we see here in this passage is the reason why he is so beloved uh, to the Galatians. It's not just because of his intellect, it's because of his heart. What we see here uh, from Paul in Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20, is Paul sh uh, shows how much he cares about these Galatians. In fact, the, the passion kind of comes out in, in, uh, in a way that we're like, we need to, we need to listen to this and, and see what's behind it 
because it comes across so strongly, but it's a passion that is rooted in love. And it's an inspiration for us to love others deeply as well. This is Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. In fact, if you have your Bibles, open up there uh, with us. It's always great to, to have it in your hands. And, uh, and so open up your Bibles, open up your, open up your tablet, whatever, and uh, let's look at God's Word together. It'll be on the screen as well. Galatians 4, verses 8 through 12, or 8 through 20 says, Formally, when you did not know God, and Paul knew them formally. He was the one that started these churches. Uh, he's been with them from the beginning. Formally, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those, to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me. For I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me in as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? These people are zealous, these false teachers that we've been looking at, these false teachers are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, just as I am zealous with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. Let's pray. Father God, as we've read these words, I pray that you would just help us now to... to uh, get behind the, the spirit and the, or to understand the, the spirit and the attitude behind Paul's writing of these words. In fact, God, I pray that as we talk about this, God, I pray that you would uh, impress these truths upon our hearts so that we would be zealous for those in our lives that, that you've brought into our spheres of influence. God, uh, wake us up from any apathy that we have uh, towards you or towards others. And God, may we with passion in our hearts have a passionate love for you and, and, and for those in our lives. God, we long just to hear from you now, and so we invite you to come and be our teacher and speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, Paul says that he is in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, there's an image, right? Uh, I, don't know how, I don't know how painful childbirth is. Obviously, I haven't given birth, uh, but I've been in the delivery room, 
And I think uh, we can all say, uh, any of us that have been, have done this or been close to it, it's painful. And, uh, and, and yet the mom who gives birth and goes through all the pain of childbirth will then hold that little baby in her arms and right away she'll say, it's worth it, right? Because that little child with his squinty little eyes and his round and, and a round face, uh, we look at him or her and we say, I love you so much. And I think that's what's behind Paul when he says, I'm in the pains of childbirth. I'm suffering. I'm in agony over your decision whether to follow the Lord or not because I love you so much. And this passage is in many ways an inspiration for us to ask ourselves, do we have that same kind of love for others? Because I'll be honest, I think for most of us, most of the time, in fact, I'll say for all of us, all the time, our problem is not that we love too much, it's that we're far too apathetic in our love. There are people around us who we know and love who are not on the right path and And too often it doesn't break our hearts as it should. And if we're honest, there are people that we know that if they were to to pass away this afternoon, we're not the judges or the juries. God is the judge, and we we hope for his mercy, but we we know in our heart of hearts that that those individuals would spend an eternity apart from the Lord. Does that break our hearts? Does that burden us? We know that there are people in our lives that are hurting and suffering, and yet we kind of just go about our ways. I think this passage is a call for us to have a passionate love, to wake up our hearts for God to speak to us and say, what can I do? How can I, be, uh, how can I love others that God has brought into my path in such a way that it'll make a real difference that can be used by the Lord? And so today we're talking about having a passionate love. And, and I'll give us three points in this sermon. A passionate love, first of all, gives a plea to do what is right. And then number two, a passionate love has a practical demonstration of care. And then thirdly, a, passion, a passionate love comes from a pure heart. Those are the three points of today's sermon. Let's, let's deal with them one at a time. First of all, a passionate love is a plea to do what is right. In verse 12, uh, Paul says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters. He's almost getting down on his knees. Come on, guys, choose what is right. I plead with you. Don't follow the teaching of the the Judaizers. Don't don't fall back into those those wrong ways. He says in verse 12, you can hear the plead behind it. How is it that you're you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Now, as we know, as we've been uh, uh, making our way through Galatians, the crux of the issue that he's talking about here is that that the Judaizers are saying, yeah, maybe you're saved by grace, but now that you're a Christian, you gotta, you gotta keep the law. You gotta, obey Christ uh, to a T if you're going to uh, have a right standing before God. And Paul is saying, no, you're not just saved by grace, you live by grace. He says here, uh, he, uh, he talks about observing special days and months and seasons and years. And what he's referring to is the ceremonial practices of Judaism. He's referring to the Sabbath 
and to the Passover and to the Day of Atonement and to the uh, Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Booths and all of these uh, ceremonies that are outlined in the Old Testament law. And Paul knows and we know that these things are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the ultimate atonement. And so Paul says, don't, go, don't fall back into the trap of thinking you've got to do this and do that and, and do that. Live under grace. Paul wants the Galatians to do the right thing because he loves them so much. And in the same way, if we were to look at the people that God has brought into our lives, are there people in your life that are on the wrong path? And just take a minute uh, with me for a moment to, to, th- to think about that. Who is it that God has brought into your life that you know, maybe it is someone who was, who was, who was once following the Lord and has strayed from that because there are many that are that are headed in the wrong direction, that used to be headed in another direction. Maybe there are those that are headed in a direction that that you know if they keep going in that direction, there will be consequences. I've got a good friend whose son is a young adult, is rebelling from the Lord right now. And uh, it, it breaks his heart because he loves his son so much. And, and, he, and he can see where his son is going. There's, there's going to be consequences to that. He can see that he's on the wrong path and it's not going to lead to a good place. And when I talk to my friend, he says, oh man, it, it hurts so much. I just wish my boy would come back and get on the right path that he'd, he'd start following the Lord. And, and, he, and he begins, and his heart begins to break. He's like, where, where did I go wrong? How did I mess up as a parent? I get the same uh, sense in, in verse 11 from Paul's words when he says, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. It's not that Paul is self-loathing. He's not trying to lay some sort of guilt trip either. What Paul is... What Paul is uh, doing here is he makes it sound personal because it is personal. He loves them so much he doesn't want to see them go down the wrong path. And so who is it in your life that, you, uh, that God is calling you to reach out and, and, to, and to give that plead to, to get on the right path? Who is it that you uh, want to fight for that God is laying on your heart to fight for, to, to fight for what is right. Now, I'll just say that when we fight for what is right, the first way we fight is we always fight on our knees because it is only God that can change a person's heart. And so we, so we, so we, plead, with the, we plead with those individuals, but we also plead with the Lord. God, come and move and work in their heart. And then as we plead with the Lord, we also look for strategic opportunities. We take them out for a cup of coffee. We we bring them over to our home. We we encourage them with a gift of of, of friendship with the hopes that we can offer a, a word of encouragement to turn back to the Lord. This is the example of Paul. It is also the example of Jesus. Jesus never, uh, as he stood for what is right, because Jesus always stood for what was right. 
He never uh, just let evil go unpunished. He, he, uh, he confronted the Pharisees. He confronted others when they were uh, headed in the wrong direction. But he was full of compassion and love. And he would heal and he would forgive. And then he would always send them off with some sort of statement like, go and sin no more. You see, our hearts are broken. And as they, they are broken for our friends and our loved ones, we plead with them to to do what is right, and we pray for them, and we have compassion, and we seek to listen and to understand, but we also, at the same time, we don't let them continue to go down the wrong path, because ultimately, that's not, a, that's not the way to treat them with love. We come with compassion and sympathy and understanding, but we also plead with them to, to come back, because if we truly love them, we want to see them headed towards God, which is the best life possible for them. That's passionate love. It's a plead to do what, uh, uh, what is right. The second thing is it is also passionate love gives a practical demonstration of care. This is seen especially in verses 13 through 15 here. Paul, uh, Paul's de- uh, but it's not Paul's demonst- practical demonstration of care to the, to the Galatians. What is highlighted here is actually how the Galatians have cared for Paul. And you can tell it meant so much to him. Uh, Paul says he first went to to the Galatian area because of an illness. And we don't know what, exactly what that illness is. You read any scholar and you'll get a, 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 different, uh, a, a different speculative answer. It could have been some sort of disease. It could have been his eyesight. It could have been one thing or another. And why go to Galatia? I don't know if there's special doctors there. I don't know if the climate is good for whatever his illness is. But he went to Galatia and he was welcomed by the Galatians. And they welcomed him even though because of his illness, he knew that it was a trial for them. And they, and they took on that burden and they loved him sacrificially. In fact, it says they would have torn out their eyes and, give, and given them to him. And, and, and I, that makes me think that the illness probably had something to do with his eyesight. But there was a sacrifice. They were willing to, they, they really wanted to help Paul in his, uh, in his condition. And they welcomed him in as if he were an angel of God or better yet, even Jesus Christ himself. Now that's a vision, right? That, that's a picture of what it means to really love someone, to love them as if we were loving Christ Jesus himself. It reminds us of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 25. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothed you? When did we uh, see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for, the one, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So when you reach out to your friend, to, to your loved one, who is... Uh, who's going down the wrong path, we, 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 
we reach out to them as if we were reaching out to Jesus himself. When we see someone hurting, we, we seek to come alongside of them and listen to them and care for them as if we were caring for Jesus himself. When you invite someone over to your home for a meal or, or you invite them out to have a cup of coffee, you sit across the table from them as if you were conversing with Jesus himself. It's a vision of what, what it really would look like to care for someone and to, and to minister to them in a, in a deep, meaningful way. When I think of our world today, I think there's two big issues, two big problems that we see all over the place. One is loneliness. Many people are lonely today. In fact, I saw a statistic recently that, that three out of five Americans, 60% of the population say they are lonely on a regular basis. In fact, that same study said, it said that one out of five millennials, which would be like late 20s, 30s, and early 40s, one in five millennials say, say they have not a single friend, not one friend, there's a website out there called rentafriend.com, and I'm not making this up. You, you can go to rentafriend.com, and you can rent a friend for $40 an hour. And there's uh, 620,000 people making money by being someone's friend. And, and it's, and it's kind of sad, and it's kind of humorous, but it's kind of sad at the same time. That, that someone would feel the need for friendship so much that they'd rent a friend. And, uh, and wouldn't that just be a wonderful thing that we could come alongside of someone as a, as a friend as it, and treat them as if they were Jesus? The second big problem I see today, not only uh, loneliness, but lostness, and, and, and specifically spiritual lostness. The fast, and you've heard these We've said this before. You've heard these statistics before. The fastest growing religion in America today is the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And, uh, and uh, that's the fastest growing re religion uh, in America today. In fact, the youngest uh, generation, those that are teenagers and entering into young adulthood, Gen Z, will be the first generation born in a, what we are calling a post-Christian America. Twice the number of Gen Zs claim to be atheists as the national average. And 40% of our population sees people of faith as more a part of the problem of society's ills than part of the solution. There's a spiritual lostness. Now, when we look at these two problems, loneliness and lostness, it's interesting to me to think that the that one of the key parts of addressing those two problems is what we see here in this passage, which is basically uh, spiritual friendship, sacrificial friendship, hospitality. When we welcome people in and, and we build relationships and, and show, give a practical demonstration of care, it, it, it fulfills those needs. In fact, I wonder if, going back to the Matthew 25 passage, if we will stand in heaven one day and the Lord will say to us, well done, good and faithful servants. You, betra you befriended me when I was lonely. You shared God's love with me when I was lost. And we might say, Lord, when did we befriend you and when did we share God's love? And he'll recount how 
uh, we showed love and friendship and practical love to someone in your life right now. And so who is that person that God is laying upon your heart? Passionate love is a plea to do what is right, is a practical demonstration of care. And then thirdly, passionate love comes from a pure heart. The false teachers that are mentioned here are passionate for the Galatians. That's what Paul says. But it is not a passionate love because their motives are not pure. He says those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous. In fact, I would say, and I think I'm in line with Paul, it is good to be zealous provided the purpose is good. And so what are you zealous about? What are you passionate about? Are you passionate about those things that are good? Are you passionate about the Lord? Would you say, I'm passionate about God. I'm passionate about worshiping the Lord. God is the ultimate reward. He is the, he is the sovereign good in the universe. He is uh, the Lord of the universe. He is God. And uh, we ought to be passionate about him. Are we passionate for our brothers and our sisters in Christ? Are we passionate for the lost? Are we passionate for Christ and his church? I want to just clarify one thing just because I, I recognize it when I said it. Man, that doesn't, that doesn't come out right. God is not just the ultimate good in the universe. I'm not saying he's a, 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 some sort of good without a person, being a person. God is real, and, uh, and, and he is the creator of the universe, and we ought to be passionate for him. And yet so often we're passionate for selfish things, the material things, the self-promotion, our own reputation. What would it look like to be passionate for the good of another? That's what I think I saw in Dr. Dan Block. With all the things that he had going on in life and all the connections he had and the reputation that he had, there was, there was no ulterior motives to pray for one of his students. And, that's, and that's, that makes a huge difference. First Peter 1.22 says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that we have sincere love for, for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. That's what this sermon is about. Now that we have purified ourselves by obeying the truth with sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. Who is the Lord calling you to love deeply from the heart? That's our prayer, that God would give us that kind of heart. Psalm 51 10 says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. And that's our heart and our prayer is that God would create in us a clean heart, give us a, a heart of passion, a heart of love for those in our lives, that we would be able to come alongside of them and to love them in, in a, with, a, with a passionate love a genuine, a sincere, a, a love deep from the heart. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. With our 
heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to give us a time, a moment before I pray for us all, just for you to spend a, a minute in prayer yourself. And, uh, and first of all, I encourage you just to ask the Lord, God, who are you calling me to love deeply from the heart? Is there a person in your life that is going down the wrong path? Is there someone that is lost? Someone that is lonely? Someone that is hurting? That God brings to your mind right now? Sometimes God just keeps bringing the same person or the same family into our lives, and we don't know why, but we just keep running into them. And God may be speaking to you right now that that is not coincidence, that he wants you to love them deeply from the heart. As we said, the first way we fight is we fight on our knees. And so I just encourage you to now pray for those individuals by name. Just lift them up to the Lord and ask that God would be working in their hearts, cultivating, you know, tilling the soil and, uh, and turning them to himself. And now lastly, let's just pray that God would purify our hearts. We all know that, man, uh, we just, we want to love, but because we are fallen people, we have sinful natures, we don't love as we ought to. Let's ask God to strengthen us, to purify our hearts, to take away those passions for things that are not of eternal value and give us a passion for him and a passion for others. Let's ask the Lord to cleanse our hearts. God, when we think of a passionate love, we are so thankful that you are a God of passionate love. God, we are so thankful that you love us so much that you sent your own son, Jesus, to this earth to live and to die on the cross for us. Now, that's passion. In fact, we call it the Passion Week when we get to Easter week. Uh, God, that is how much you love us. And God, I pray that you would stir within our hearts a passion for you. God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts a passionate love for others that you bring into our lives, for those that are on the wrong path, for those that are lost, for those that are, that are, that are saved and yet they are struggling in one way or another. Give us a passionate love. Help us to love one another deeply from the heart. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.